If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 to get together. We're going to be starting off with verses 14 through 22. Uh, This is the letter to the church of Laodicea, uh, where Jesus has a strong rebuke, a strong rebuke. We're going to read that this morning. Um, We'll jump into the text and uh, make some, some, some points regarding what this church struggled with. Uh, Starting verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, the church of Laodicea was a church that lived in a well-off community. It was a church that prided itself with financial wealth, a thriving textile industry, and an eye salve that was distributed almost as a medicinal purpose for those that had problems. In fact, when an earthquake devastated the city in AD 60, they did not want help to rebuild, but decided that they were going to rebuild on their own because they were rich. They didn't need outside help. Hemer says in his commentary, neighboring Herapolis had hot spring water valuable for its medicinal effects. In its journey to Laodicea, it lost some of this heat and consequently medicinal value by the time it arrived, either overland or by aqueduct in Laodicea. Nearby, Colossae had cool, life-giving water that was refreshing as a beverage. So when Jesus is giving these words to the church of Laodicea, what he tells them, I think, is still important today. Jesus' point here is not that cold means you're not on fire for God and hot means that you're on fire for God. That's not the point of this text. It's preached that way a lot, but it's not what the point of this text is. The point here is that what they were living was a life of apathy and lukewarmness. And unfortunately, that's a lot of the church even today. A lot of the church today is very apathetic. Webster defines apathy as this. Want of feeling, an utter privation of passion or insensibility to pain, applied either to the body or the mind. As applied to the mind, it is stoicism, a calmness of mind incapable of being ruffled by pleasure, pain, or passion. In the first ages of the church, the Christians adopted the term to express a contempt of earthly concerns. 
quietism itself is apathy disguised under the appearance of devotion. What do we mean by quietism? Quietism is essentially accepting things as they are without caring to change them. Many Christians live under this false piety. Now, how is apathy itself defined in the Bible? This, this word specifically, lukewarm, is found here in this text. It's interesting. The Greek word apatheia, which means without feeling. In English, there is this word pathos, which means strong passion. Well, the prefix a defines absence, meaning no passion, no desire. So apathy means without feeling, no passion, without fervent spirit. The simple meaning is well expressed by the English phrase, who cares? Kliaros means to become warm, liquefy, melt. Metaphorically, of the condition of a soul wretchedly fluctuating between a torpor and a fervor of love. Meaning, something that's really moving, it's still. Adam Clark makes this comment. He says, Ye are neither heathens nor Christians, neither good nor evil, neither led away by false doctrine nor thoroughly addicted to that which is true. In a word, ye are listless and indifferent and seem to care little whether heathenism or Christianity prevailed. Though they, the lukewarm Christian, felt little zeal either for the salvation of their own souls or that of others, yet they had such a great general conviction of the truth and importance of Christianity that they could not readily give it up. What Adam Clark is pointing out here is that, simply put, many that are lukewarm want the things of God, but don't desire to do the things of God. They want the results without wanting to put in the work. They want God to bless, but have no passion for the things that he desires. Apathy shows itself in many different ways. In fact, if you were to look out throughout scripture, you can find many passages. We're only going to look at five. But what's one way that we see apathy show up in our lives, just like it did in the church of Laodicea? Number one, pushing the truth away. In Romans 1, 18 through 21. Number two, leading us into greater sin, Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. Number three, lacking spiritual maturity, Hebrews 5, 11 through 12. Number four, neglecting fellowship, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And number five, I think this is a very obvious one sometimes, is ignoring consequences. Zephaniah 1, 12 through 13. Let's start with number one, pushing the truth away. This is the famous Romans 1 text in the position of the world before God. We're only going to be reading verses 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
You see, one of the ways that you can find apathy in your life, and I can find apathy in my life, is that when I push truth away, when I suppress truth, when the very things that we see in this text come out in my life. Notice what it says here. They knew God, they did not glorify him as God. You see, a lot of Christians know God. The question is, do they glorify him as God? Do they actually make much of him in their life? You see, a lot of us will say, we'll go around and tell people, I'm a Christian, I go to this church, I do these things, I go to a Christian school. But the question really boils down to this. How much of God is coming out of your mouth, not simply where you identify? There's a lot of good Christian cliches we all throw around. I mean, in fact, some Christians are so spiritual, when someone says bless you after they sneeze, they make sure to put in God bless you. As if that makes it so much better. It's unfortunately, but apathy creeps in very subtly. We don't even notice that it's there. We don't even see that we are apathetic many times. In fact, when someone calls us out for our lack of desire or drive in the walk with God, we respond with a vile response. How dare you call me on that one? How dare you tell me that I don't care for the things of God? And what's amazing here is what's missed many times in this text. They were not thankful. Apathy breeds in ungrateful living. It really gets stirred up when we truly are unthankful for what God's given us. You show me an apathetic person, you, you, and I'll show you someone that's not grateful. Apathy and gratitude do not coexist well. In fact, people that are grateful for what God has done are typically passionate for the things of God. They're driven. They have a purpose. They have a meaning for what God's created them for. People that are unthankful, Christians that are unthankful, they don't care that much that God saved them. He doesn't, they don't really care that much that God has blessed them with the life that he has. Apathy creeps in and they don't even see it. This happens to all of us. Don't think that just the world does this. We do this. And you know what's even un more unfortunate is that our minds become futile. Have you ever thought, I want to do the things of God, but for some reason I just love these other things so much more? You see, apathy many times has to be countered with a desire for something else that you prefer. Most people are apathetic to one thing and desire another. For example, a person that's trying to live a very healthy life, and they exercise all the time, they have to have this certain physique, they're apathetic to the food that everybody else likes. They could care less about it. In fact, it doesn't bother them at all that they see something that might tempt others. They don't care for it. Why? Because they're driven about this one thing. The unfortunate thing in the Christian life is many are apathetic to the things of God and are very driven for the things of the flesh. They're very motivated by that. Pushing truth away. It's a very serious thing that happens. Number two, leading us into greater sin. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. 
She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. The truth is, when you and I live in apathy, the very little things that we tolerate become big things. They grow. The small things that we're very apathetic about that we don't think God cares all that much about, I mean, after all, why should I care? They become big things, and they lead to more serious sins. One of the reasons why the song we all know when we grew up in church, those of us that have, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Those are very serious songs that I think adults need to pay attention to. I don't know what it is. We're so careful to make sure our kids are not watching the things they ought not to, but we're not careful when we do. We're so careful that our kids don't listen to certain music, but we listen to that music. We're so careful that our kids are not bought into the worldly philosophy, but we ourselves are bought into the worldly philosophy. You see, apathy leads you and I to greater sin. And don't, don't fall into this trap, parent. Well, you know, I have a past. I can't tell my kids. God never gives you an out for that in the Bible. There's no excuse for that. That excuse isn't valid before God. Because the truth is, if you read through all the saints of God in Scripture, you're going to see all of them are flawed without exception. Your heroes of the faith are flawed men and women. And it wasn't like God said, eh, you know what? You, you really don't need to tell them. I know what you used to do. That is not God's view at all. That's apathy coming out. Why? Because before you know it, you and I tolerate more and more serious sins, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Number three, lacking spiritual maturity. Hebrews 5, 11 through 12. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You show me a person that's apathetic and I'll show you somebody that's spiritually mature. So many people think that I've walked with God so many years I must be mature. That's not true. There are spiritually immature people in the church today that have walked with God for many years. How do we know that? Scripture clearly tells us. What does he say here? Dull of hearing. I don't want to hear anymore. Listen, apathy creeps in just like that. I don't want to hear another message. I don't want to hear someone tell me what the Bible says about this sin. Why? What does it even matter? I'm okay. truth is you're lacking spiritual maturity because the person that wants to walk in fellowship with God is going to take care of those things are they going to walk perfectly of course not not a single one of us in here walks a perfect upright life before God not one but spiritual maturity is not just recognizing there's a problem it's doing something about it not just recognizing that I sin because here's the here's the out that a lot of Christians use 
very clear in our, in our context in America. Well, you know what? We're all human. Find me that excuse in the Bible. Find me one verse that says, just use that as an out for why you shouldn't care to fight against sin. Yes, God knows our framework. Scripture tells us that he knows that we can't attain what he is. That's why he's given us Christ. But why is it that we have Christ? We grab a hold of him in salvation. We ask for, you know, Jesus to save us. And then we're like, I'm good. I don't need this anymore. This doesn't matter. And what's even more unfortunate is verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. Here's what's amazing. Some of you know the truth, and you still don't want to be taught. You're like, don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. I know. I know what God says. I'm not going to do anything about it. And what's even more unfortunate is some people should be teachers in this church, and they're not. I'm speaking to people here in Sovereign Grace Church. You should be teaching others. Not just taking in, giving out. Lacking spiritual maturity is a symptom of apathy. Number four, neglecting fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I'm going to pause for a moment and I really want to make sure I'm careful how I preach this part. So many of you think that when a Christian tells you you should go to church, they're just trying to guilt trip you. Can I, can I say on the authority of, of Scripture that I want to encourage you, as this text says, to not neglect the fellowship of believers? You're not doing this for any of us, particularly. You're doing this because you need to be in fellowship because God wants you to be in fellowship. And when church becomes this optional thing that we can pick and choose when we want to do it, why we want to do it, whenever I want to arrive then we don't prioritize what God wants. And I dare say this, because I'm preaching to myself here. Sometimes we're more neglectful on the night before going to church the next morning than we are on Monday morning for work. Oh, I'll stay up a lot later on, on, on Saturday night. I got just church tomorrow. I hope you've never bought, bought into that lie. You're talking about God Almighty that you claim to worship. That you claim matters to you. And unfortunately, just as this city of Laodicea, prosperity gets in the way of that. We care about other things a little more. Neglecting fellowship will get you to a point of apathy all the time. In fact, most Christians that don't care for church are very apathetic by default. Because they re don't realize that that's that important. I'm not here to guilt trip anybody. As a pastor, yeah, many times I have to be here. I get it. I'm being honest for a second. But the truth is, this is something God wants for all of us. He desires that. We shouldn't be gathering less. We should be gathering more. 
Number five, this is a big one, ignoring consequences. Zephaniah 1, 12 through 13. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become booty and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses that but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards but not drink of their wine. One of the surest ways to see if apathy is in your life is when you don't care about consequences. In fact, you don't believe that they really exist for you. They exist for so-and-so. They don't really exist for me. I won't be burned like they were. So many a Christian have done that. So many a Christian assume that God will only deal with others. He won't deal with them. If you're his child, there will be consequences. In fact, he tells the church of Laodicea, whom I love, I rebuke, I chasten. God does deal with his own. You can't and you shouldn't ignore that. Ignoring consequences is one of the surest ways to see that we have fallen into apathy. When you don't care what you're doing because you think you're going to get away with it, that's apathy. Listen to what Spurgeon says. I'm going to read some of these to you. This is his thoughts on a lukewarm church today. Mind you, he wrote, you know, 100 years ago, around there. Still applies today. Here's Spurgeon's thoughts. They have prayer meetings, but there are few present, for they like quiet evenings home. When more attend the meetings, they are still very dull, for they do their praying very deliberately and are afraid of being too excited. They are content to have all things done decently and in order, but vigor and zeal are considered to be vulgar. You ever seen people that are passionate about their faith and it just like, for other Christians, it's just a turn off? Like, please, calm down a little bit there. That's, that's what Spurgeon's getting at here. They may have schools, Bible classes, preaching rooms, and all sorts of agencies, but they may as well be without them. For no energy is displayed and no good comes of them. They have deacons and elders who are excellent pillars of the church. If the chief quality of pillars be to stand still and exhibit no motion or emotion. Wow. Here's one for me. The pastor does not fly very far in preaching the everlasting gospel and he certainly has no flame of fire in his preaching. The pastor may be a shining light of eloquence, but he's certainly not a burning light of grace, setting men's hearts on fire. Everything is done in a half-hearted, listless, dead-and-alive way, as if it does not matter much whether it's done or not. Things are respectfully done. Oh, this is churches today, for sure. The rich families are not offended, the skeptical party is conciliated, and the good people are not quite alienated. Things are made pleasant all around. We don't want to offend anybody. The right things are done, 
but as to doing them with all your might and soul and strength, a Laodicean church has no notion of what that means. They are not so cold as to abandon their work or to give up their meetings for prayer or to reject the Bible or the gospel. They are neither hot for the truth nor hot for conversions, nor hot for holiness. They are not fiery enough to burn the stubble of sin, nor zealous enough to make Satan angry, nor fervent enough to make a living sacrifice of themselves upon the altar of their God. They are neither cold nor hot. I think I could have just preached the sermon right there. So back in Revelation 3, Jesus provides us the remedy to apathy. You see, the reality is, is apathy creeps in in many different forms. But it's not enough to just know you have a problem. That's only the first step, right? Admit you have a problem. We all know that. Now what are we going to do? Revelation 3, verse 18 and 19, here's what he says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. You see, what's unfortunate for many in the church today is when God gives them the solution, they keep finding a problem. When God says, hey, listen, you know what? What you're buying, what you're doing is not working. Come to me. Oh, no, God, I got something better. I got to figure it figured out. I only needed you to give me eternal life. I just needed a ticket out of hell. That's all I wanted. I don't want you here. Frankly, God, to be honest, I don't care what you say. And it's in those kind of remarks and those kind of thoughts that we have that we essentially tell God, whatever you say doesn't really matter. And what God's telling this church in Laodicea, he's saying, listen, I know you think you've got it all. In fact, he's talking to a prosperous church. Listen, we in America, we have it very good. As much as you complain about the economy, you have seen nothing compared to other countries out there. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You and I need to understand our spiritual poverty before him. You are spiritually bankrupt without God. Your currency doesn't match his. So what that you can impress others? Are you impressing God? Or are you impressed by him? You see, the believer that says, you know what, I have it all together, I'm okay, nobody sees what's going on behind the scenes because I can hide it well, is essentially telling God, I don't really need what you are giving when you're desperately bankrupt internally. We're spiritually bankrupt apart from God. Clothe in Christ's righteousness, not our filthy rags. You know what's amazing is so many Christians want the righteousness of Christ, but they want their rags back. I mean, my righteousness should be fine, should suffice. What do I really need to pursue holiness for? Because you have the Holy Spirit that you've been quenching for quite some time. 
that you've been ignoring whenever he brings up things. Whenever a sermon or anything you've heard, when you've read or listened to from the Word of God, brings something to mind and you just ignore it. You're going, not, 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 not me. Not today. One of, the, one of the most famous words uttered by people that don't care is not today. I'll, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Like, give me some time. I'll, I'll take care of this later, God. And I, and I, don't, I don't mean to just throw things out there, but you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Why do you keep acting like that? You know, it's amazing. The world th throws phrases like this all the time, and Christians love songs that say this. What if today was your last day? Well, do you really even live anywhere near that mentality? Like, as, as realistic as that might sound and sentimental as it may be, like, if today was my last day, I knew for sure I probably would not do certain things. I would change my schedule a bit. Some of us would probably not want to go to work that day. I get it. If today, that day was your last day, you probably wouldn't want to go do that. But that's not what God calls you to. God's saying, buy from me. Stop pursuing what you want. Stop going after the things that you think making you rich when they're really not. You're spiritually poor. Go back to him. His word. Pray to him. Look for his anointing, not your own. This city was thinking they had it all figured out. This church was in this prosperous city thinking they were good. Don't ever assume because life is going easy that you're right with God. It's one of the most garbage things that people throw out today. Let go and let God. You may be physically all right, but spiritually you're destitute without God. There needs to be an effort put in. Go back to God. God is calling this church to repentance as he calls those of us that fall into apathy. The two things that he says here is buy. An action that needs to be done to get these things from God. What are you purchasing, believer? What are you going after? One of the tools that God gives you is your time. What are you buying with your time? Are you buying spiritually enriching things? Or are you buying things that only profit the flesh, that are frankly dead and worthless? It's an action that we are to take just as this church was to take. Anoint. You need him to give you spiritual vision, believer. You can't see on your own. You're apathetic because you think you can see when you really can't. Listen, church, I, I, I say this as a pastor that has struggled with apathy for years. 
Because it gets to the point in ministry where you just want to give up because others don't see. You want to give up because it doesn't seem to matter how much time you've put into investing in certain people. But at the end of the day, you need to realize that no matter what God calls you to, he's worthy. Even when we don't see the results we want. I always think of the text, for our sake he became poor. Jesus gave up of glory for you and me. And we're like, can't give him an hour. Too much to ask. Believer, you and I have so many things that he's graciously giving, given to us and is giving to us continually. And when we don't care for those things, we're essentially telling God, I'm really here to use you for what I want. We don't like when people use us for what they want. Let me tell you one thing, God doesn't care for his own treating him that way. In fact, he's so severe about that, that he's dealt severely with people throughout scripture that dealt that way with him. Ananias and Sapphira didn't get a redo. They didn't get like, here's another call to the altar to repent. Instantly. The church in Corinth, the passage we read every month, many sleep, many have died. That's essentially what is said. And believer, if you and I think that we're going to escape consequences for our choices in our lives, we're only deceiving ourselves. So I want to ask, and be honest with yourself before God, where are you apathetic? Where are you apathetic? Are you apathetic in pushing the truth away? You're just like, I know the truth, but I don't know if I want to say anything about this. I don't want to talk about this. Leave it alone. Don't tell me what I need to do. Please. I already know. The question is not if somebody told you. The question is, did God tell you, and why aren't you listening? Who cares what everybody else says? At the end of the day, if we're representing God, it's still God's opinion that matters. Number two, are you, are you apathetic because you don't realize that the little things you tolerate now are actually creating a path and pattern to greater sin in your life? You, you see, most people think that a marriage fails overnight. It doesn't. A marriage fails because little things are tolerated that should not be tolerated. Before you know it, it turns, they turn into big things that end up being something that swallows that relationship. And it breaks it apart. Maybe you're apathetic because you're, you're lacking spiritual maturity. You're just not the type of person that really cares for the things of God. In fact, reading the Bible is too much of a chore to you. My gosh, it's too hard. I mean, God, give me something easier. John eleven thirty five. 35, just read, read little verses like that. Church, there are some of you in here that truly need to lead others in this church, and you're the one that still needs to be taught. You ought to know better because you've walked with God longer, but you're still spiritually mature. 
And how, how do we know that based on what Scripture says? Because you're not taking it on yourself to work on those areas that you need to work on and trying to help someone else. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people are fascinated by spiritual giants in the church, but they don't want to put anywhere near the work that they did. I love Spurgeon. Look at how God used him. Did you guys realize that Spurgeon wasn't even that loved during his lifetime? All the love came after. So, I mean, we quoted him earlier in pretty brutal stuff he said there. But it's on point. Everybody assumes that if, if I'm only liked, then I can get across to people. God didn't call you to be liked. Spiritual maturity means that when I am offended, I don't go out of my way to offend. Spiritual, spiritual maturity means that when someone calls me out on something, I humbly accept that I'm wrong in that area. Instead of digging in my heels and going, don't dare tell me. We're little kids with tantrums in the church many times. How dare the pastor tell me that? Maybe you're apathetic because you've been neglecting fellowship. Maybe the very thing you need is really being in fellowship with the church and the body of Christ, and you've been ignoring it for a while. Maybe you've come today. Maybe you're watching online. Don't neglect the fellowship. It breeds apathy. Here's what happens in the church so often, and it really ties into this. A person's been outside the, the fellowship for a while, Others reach out and say, hey, we missed you. We hope you're back. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll eventually make it back. They don't. They ignore it. Time goes on. Things start happening in their life that are truly pulling them in different directions. And then they hit a point where, man, I really need to get back into fellowship. It's like a wake-up call. They get back to church, back in fellowship, and then... Seems like everything's good, right? Because what happens to many of us, we use church like therapy. I feel better. I went to church. You ought to remember you met with God. Not just that you came to church. The fellowship of the saints can give you a possibly a good sentimental feeling, but it's more than that. It's to align you with the word and principle of God's word. Or maybe, maybe you're apathetic because, let's face it, a lot of us fall into this trap. We start ignoring the consequences. Like, I don't think that's going to happen to me. I'm doing pretty good. Finances are in order finally. I took care of this other bill. I got a promotion. Everything seems to be doing good. I got enough money to pay the bills. Got enough to take care of the things that I need to. The question is, what are things that you need to take care of that you're ignoring? Because you don't want to face the potential consequences of those things. I dare say there are, all of us have things that God wants us to work on that we're just ignoring sometimes. Like, you know, I'm going to take care of these because these kind of are a little easier for me to deal with. That's hard. If I have to make them change over here, that's going to tear everything I've built apart. God wrecked Nicodemus' world. Nicodemus lost everything in this life, practically, to follow Jesus. 
What are you willing to sacrifice to live faithfully for God? Are there some things that you and I can give up because we truly know they're hurting our walk with God, but we're just not willing to do it? You see, some things are sin. Some things are absolutely sin. God calls it sin. We ignore it. We don't want to deal with it. And other things are weights in our lives, things that just weigh us down. They are just a horrible use of our time. You ever waste time? I waste time. Busy, but I waste time. The question is, when we ignore consequences for things in our lives that God calls us to take a look at, then we are essentially saying, God, go ahead, discipline me. What's even more unfortunate, in a sense, we're almost saying, God, show me you love me by disciplining me. And God will, because he does love his own. He's a loving father. He cares for his own. In fact, if everything is going too well for too long, you may want to ask the question, is God my father? In fact, believer, some of you, you struggle with a lot of things in your life and you're wondering whether God cares or not. He does because you do struggle. And he's in the midst of that struggle. When things are too smooth, that's when you need to watch out in your spiritual walk with God. That's when you need to go, wait a second, why is it going so well? Doesn't mean that God doesn't give you a breath of fresh air and you actually do have some things that go well in life at times. But it does mean that sometimes when you and I consider certain things, we need to be paying attention to what God says. Stop ignoring the warnings. Start paying attention to the reality that consequences are there for all of us. Reaping and sowing is the axiomatic truth for all of humanity. If you and I were to steal something from a bank, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not, you're going to have to face the consequences. I don't know why believers think they're going to get the pass based on who they are. Man is made in the image of God, and being made in the image of God means that God has every right to disperse of his justice and his chastening as he pleases. And the question is this, are you going to listen before the consequences get too severe? Because the reality is consequences can be very severe for all of us if we don't listen. I want to encourage you, church. Every single one of us in here struggles with apathy in our lives. Everyone, without a doubt. The question is, what are you going to do about it proactively? And that means, are you going to say, I'm going to do this this week, no matter what? I'm going to read the Bible, no matter what. I'm going to pray, no matter what. I'm going to talk to other believers, no matter what. And you make that a priority. Not a, God, I'm, you're right, I'm apathetic, I don't care. And you keep doing what you're doing. Have a plan. Some of us need to put it on paper. Here's what I'm going to do. I remember one preacher saying this, and I agree with this. You schedule what you prioritize. Whatever's a priority to you and me will be something we schedule. If God is an afterthought, he'll come whenever. If God is a priority, he'll be a priority in our schedule. 
So church, let me encourage you. I'm a fellow struggler with you on this. No better in a lot of these areas. Can we please, as a church, take to heart this warning? Because what I would really be afraid of is what God, specifically through the Apostle John, tells us Jesus says. That he spits us out of his mouth. He's disgusted with us. I don't want that for our church. I want to be known as a church that loves God, is faithful to God, no matter what comes.